0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Vessel Church Podcast. Vessel is a Book of Acts church in Baton Rouge, and our mission for this podcast is to equip people to carry the name, spirit, and cross of Christ
1: in our pursuit of Him and His kingdom. Hey everybody, Pastor Taylor here. I just wanted to thank you again for joining us on the Vessel Church Podcast. You're in for an incredible discussion between Mark and Reverend A.J. Holloway. A.J. is an important voice not only to us here at Vessel, but we believe to the entire church. They're gonna be talking about the Bible, how we as Westerners can sometimes approach an Eastern text incorrectly, and other things that are just gonna blow your mind. Thanks again, and we pray that it helps you in your walk with Christ. Be blessed and be a vessel.
0: Welcome y'all to another week of Vessel Church Podcast. I'm Mark and I'm here with the great Reverend Aaron Holloway.
1: No, man, just just the Reverend Holloway, how about that?
0: (laughs) Well, you've been a great influence to all of us and i know you've been a staple here at vessel church and so just from the outside we want to say thank you we appreciate oh, your voice uh your, you. your influence that you've had not only in my life but in the lives of many um, and we know that you're a very well respected voice so we we give you honor we thank, thank you for you. being here with us um so we're going to jump in today and we're going to talk about um one of the things that you're very very well versed on we're excited to kind of gain some of that knowledge from you but we want to kind of focus in on the eastern versus western viewpoint or lens sure of the way that the Bible was written, kind of how we understand that and, and, really what kind of context that should apply to our life. So to get this thing started, can you explain to us just the difference in the Eastern viewpoint or lens and the Western viewpoint or lens of the way that we see the Bible?
1: Yeah, that's a big one. And, uh, we've discussed this in length. One of the big things is we need to be just a little bit more humbled when we grab that book that it is, they weren't thinking of America when they wrote it and they weren't american there was no democracy and it's an ancient text their writing all everything's different so we need to approach it with a shred of humility and just accept the fact that i'm reading a book that was written at a time to a culture that is not our time nor our culture right and so the things that it is saying may not always mean what i think it means and we have a we have a statement we say often uh, in America is that just goes without saying, you know, when we expect somebody to do something, we don't even feel the need to explain it to them because we're like, it just, it just goes without saying it should be understood. It should be understood. You know, there's four tires on a car, you know, that just goes without saying, Yeah. well, if you're in a, if you're in a family that only drives 18 wheelers, that doesn't just go without saying, right. You know, that's a terrible example, but you get what I mean. There are things in the Bible that we assume it's saying that it might not be saying. Yeah. So we need to accept that it is an Eastern book, not a Western. And the, the divide between Eastern and Western worldviews and thought patterns is probably the biggest challenge that we will run into when reading the Bible. So it is a huge difference. And one example, because your question was, you know, what are some of the differences? One, and this, is, this isn't going to be all-encompassing. This is just going to be, you know, kind of snapshots. But um, one difference is... In America, we're very individualistic. You know, think of things we say all the time. Um, I'm a strong, independent young woman. Yeah, that is something to be revered in our culture. Or a man is, you know, man, when, I, when things aren't going my way, I just pick myself up by my bootstraps right. and I just keep going. Well, that's not the Eastern worldview. The Eastern worldview didn't, didn't think of things in terms of individualistic ideas. Even to this day in the East, that's still the, the norm is to think by, by way of um, we're thinking of the tribe, not how, not how it's going to benefit me, but how does it benefit all of us?
0: Right. So more of a sense of community.
1: Very, very much. Here's a good example. In the Old Testament, if, if you were alone, you were a leper. You, the lepers were set outside the camp and weren't allowed to be amongst the people. And so nobody wanted that lifestyle. Yeah, Everything was very, uh, very community-driven. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Yeah. You know, those that's a very communal prayer. That was not a, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Give me my daily bread. It's... Their worldview is very much on, I need to take care of those around me. And that's just one difference. There's a lot of differences. And I'll give just one more just to kind of help people understand the, the big differences. This is a big one, time. Mm-hmm. You know, in America, we think of things in terms of time. Time is money. We very much treat time as something we can spend. It's a, it's a currency. Even though you can't earn time, you can't save well, we, we have a saying where we save time, but you can't collect it. And when you're out of it, use what's in your, right. your savings account of time. You just do things to be more efficient. But this is our, our thought process of time. And so, with that, we think of things in terms of chronological order. For example, when we read a book, we're going to read the beginning, there's a preface, then there's the introduction, we're introducing the characters. Then the story's going to rise to a climax, a conflict, and then we expect a resolution. It's beginning, middle, end. That's a chronological series of events. And usually uh, it's telling us that moving forward in time. You know, Johnny was three years old at the beginning of this book, and he had a fallout with his father. And then the climax is, you know, his father died, and they never made things right, so on and so forth. And he's 27 years old. And then it gets to the end of the book. It's moving forward in time. Right. The Bible does not do that at all. In fact, I have a teacher. Um, he's He's... Jewish, and when he's teaching in school, bro, it drives me crazy because he's telling things out of chronological order, yeah, kind of jumping all over the
0: map. He's jumping all over the
1: place, and I'm sitting there, you know, lost as a goose in a snowstorm, and I'm just like, Where are you headed, bro? I'm like, And so I'll stop him, like, Okay, what, when did this happen? When did that take place? And he's like, Ah, Americans, <laughs> because he's not telling it in chronological order, they're giving you the information needed, yeah. To prove a point they're trying to make. Yeah. So think of time as, or think of things, uh, in a story as ingredients to making a gumbo. Yeah. So let's say your grandmother has uh, a, a gumbo, but you don't have a recipe, but you remember how it tasted. Mm-hmm. So you're going to add a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you're going to keep tasting periodically. And then you finally hit a point and say, okay, it tastes like what I remember it tasting like, right. but you have no recipe. For us, chronological order is the recipe. But imagine you didn't have that. You're just going to add a little here, add a little there until the point is proven. Yeah, That's the entire Bible. They're giving you a story from the Old Testament here. They're giving a parable over there, and they're snapping it in place. It's not in chronological order. Right. We saw the disciples do that a lot, right? A lot.
0: Improving lots. their stories and talking to the churches. We saw them do that a lot where they would take pieces of of everything there and piece the story together to prove the point they're trying to make.
1: Yes. I did a thing on my Instagram recently about that, that Jesus is talking about. He had just got through talking to Matthew 24 about the end times. And he's talking about, you know, he's like, when this happens, when iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. Right. And so he's talking about in the last days, people are going to love people less because of lawlessness. That's what iniquity means. And so what better parable to attach to that story would Matthew use other than the five wise and the five foolish who had oil, And a flame, the love of many is going to wax cold. And so when you read that parable along with what he just said in Matthew 24, because they're, they're, they're lumped together. He's did that. Did he tell that parable in chronological order of what he said in Matthew 24, or did Matthew add that to prove a point? So the oil, if you meditate on it is compassion yeah. The flame was the presence of God. God's presence stays where the oil of compassion is. The love of many won't wax cold. You'll have the flame sitting there next to you. Right. And wouldn't it, wouldn't it make sense that the very next story he would tell, lumped up with that, is not in chronological order, but he would tell the woman who broke the alabaster box, the oil poured it out at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And what, what better story would he tell next other than Judas going and selling Jesus. And notice what the disciples said about the woman who broke the alabaster box. They said, this could have been sold and given to the poor. Yeah. And then next, the very next story is Judas sells Jesus. And so you end with this, do I really have love? And am I a box breaker or am I a bag carrier? Because that's what Judas was. Yeah. They're, they're trying to prove a theological point and they're taking all of these stories, not in chronological order, and they're snapping on them in place. Yeah to make the gumbo taste the way they feel it should taste, Yeah, not chronological order. And that's a very Eastern thing to do.
0: Right. It's, it's anti what we would do in
1: our Western culture. That's right. It's anti the way that we would think in our Western world. Right. And so we'll do one of two things when we read the Bible. We'll either be so confused that we're just like, what? Did, this didn't happen then. That happened way later. According to this gospel, Mark said this story was told over here. We'll do that and be confused and give up on the Bible. Or worse, we'll say the Bible doesn't agree. It's contradicting itself. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not doing either. We just need to get in the mindset of how Easterners write yeah. in order to see those.
0: And that's a good point. I think it kind of leads us to the next question. Is I wanted to ask you, so how does our Western viewpoint kind of see you know, understanding that, how does that shape the way that we see the principles taught in scripture? So does it do exactly what you're talking about there? Does our Western viewpoint kind of distort the way that we see the principles we taught in scripture
1: and the stories and how we see it? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I will, I'll be humbled and say this though, that it depends upon the social mores of your home life. You know, there's going to be some homes, even in the Western culture, that do put people first, which is what the Bible is doing. Yeah. Uh, so this isn't a blanket statement, just primarily. Uh, yes, our Western thinking does shape what we're bringing to the Bible, and we're twisting and distorting scriptures because we're approaching an Eastern book and Western thought. Um, a, a big one of that is um, we very much, when we watch a movie, yeah. You know, just to give an idea of how our Western ideas will shape what we're reading in the Bible, when we watch a movie... We, or read a book, we are putting ourselves in that story. What would I do in that situation? How would I respond if this same thing that's happening to that character, if it were to happen to me and as children, we'll play that scenario out in our mind and we'll make ourselves the main character. Mm -hmm. When we read the Bible, we're, we're bringing that to the book and we're saying, okay, I'm David. I got to go defeat my, my giants. Well, the Bible's not about us, (laughs) you know? Yeah. The Bible's about Jesus. Yeah, I've never been David. <laughs> I, we're not David. We're the we're the ones on the hill, too She's scared right. to go on the battlefield. The books about Jesus. So us putting us in the place, what we have done is we've brought in a Western construct. I've got to pick myself up by the bootstraps. I've got to pray enough prayers. I got to fast enough. I got to be spiritual enough. I got to do all the right things. I got to quote all the right creeds. Check off enough boxes to be in favor enough with God to beat that giant. No, God's grace is going to beat that giant. Right. That's that's. You just need to be on His side. Yeah. But what we do is we bring very much this, this egocentric idea to the Bible. So it is shaping the way we read the Bible tremendously. Yeah, we assume we're primary. And we do, unfortunately. And another thing is, this is a big one, uh, and this, this might offend some sensibilities, but something that we revere a lot within our, our current culture, uh, within a, with Western America... Yeah. Is we hold freedom at the highest value. Yeah. That's our, that's our highest value. And that's going to look different from state to state. I'm from the South. So freedom, when I hear freedom and not, not me, but most Southerners, when they hear freedom, they're like, don't take my guns. Right. But if you ask a Northerner, what is freedom to them? It's still freedom, but they're going to have something else that they may say, don't take this particular freedom. Right. You know, somebody else would be, don't take my freedom of speech, but freedom is the, the common theme. Um, But the Bible was very different because it's not a democracy. It was a kingdom. Right. So here's, and here's a good Eastern thing to get into the mind frame of. Here's a great example. In the Old Testament, when you were seeking refuge, you entered a kingdom. It was a walled city. Yeah. And you pledged allegiance to the king of that city. Yeah. And what you got out of that was the protection of that king and his army. And so you would join that, that kingdom, and you, you were good there, unless the king was terrible. And then you were just in dire straits. Right. But that's, that's not a freedom, though, because whatever that, that king decrees, you have to do it. Right. He has ultimate rule. He has ultimate rule. And this transitioned and morphed into the Greek. The Greeks had a little bit more of what we would view as a democratic view, right. uh, individual rights, things like that. But still, they, they still dealt with king and, and servants. So here's a fun one. The word politic is in the Bible. It's the word polis. It's the Greek, it comes from the Greek word polis. Polis means walled city. Because politic in their mind meant, I'm going into this walled city. That's my king. I do as he says. I get the benefits from him. Yeah. Whether that's Caesar, whether that's Nero, it doesn't matter your politics. And so Paul morphs all of this. This is still this getting into that Eastern mindset to extract from the text what it's trying to tell us. Jesus comes and makes this bold claim that he is Mashiach in Hebrew, which is Messiah. Christ and Messiah is both the same exact thing. Christ is the the transliterated word for Christos, which means anointed one. That means that's how you would anoint a king with poor oil on his head. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. Okay. I don't know why it's two different things in English. You see Messiah and Christ. It's literally the same thing. Same word. Yeah. Yes. He made this bold claim that he was the king. So Jesus had a politic. He's like, my kingdom, however, according to the prophets, has no walls. Yeah. So everyone can come in. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was his polis. Yeah. He said, I'm a good king. I'll never fail you. And so our allegiance was pledged to a cross. Yeah. And Christ crucified. And in his kingdom, there was no Democrat or Republic. It was redeemed and disciple. Yeah. That's what he had in his kingdom. And so Paul has this really interesting thing that he does. And this is all like, this is why it's just so important getting in that history of the Bible. That that Bible was not just written randomly. There was history involved. Philippians. Here's a good one, bro. Philippians. Do you know what Philippi was? Philippi was a Roman camp Mm -hmm. that was built by the king so that retired centurions of his royal army would go there and they were each given little villages and they could rule as little governors. Wow. So if you're into the whole global domination thing, that's a really sweet system. You yeah. know, it? the king gives his, his retired military uh, sergeants a place to go and rule. Yeah. So they end their days. Paul has the audacity to plant a church there <laughs> and he has enough gumption in Philippians one mm-hmm. to walk in. And we don't see it in English, but in Greek, it stands out. He says, guys, now, man, he's speaking to patriots who are set up for life by the government that they were in through Rome, but they've made a mistake. They're pledging allegiance to Christ now, no longer Caesar Mm -hmm. or whoever the emperor was at that time. I can't remember, but that's where they messed up. And Paul says, okay, let your conduct be worthy of Christ that word Christ in Greek yeah. means king. The word conduct <laughs> it's polis. Mm-hmm. He said, let your politics represent the new king that you said you pledged to. Yeah. You're not of this world anymore, guys. And Paul is saying that the equivalent of one of our military bases. Wow. That's where he that's his platform. He's speaking to ex-military men who fought and died and had their friends die next to them in war. Yeah. They're pledging allegiance to government. And Paul had to do the hard job of saying, guys, let your polis represent the new king. Yeah, Those are all little things. And I know I'm bouncing away from the question, but these are things that we have to, to embrace yeah. to extract from that text. And an ancient Easterner got that. Right. That, that was very by nature. That was, that was inherited. It wasn't something they had to fight through. You and I do. Because they understood kingdom. We don't. Yeah. We'll approach the Bible and say, I have a choice. My body, my choice. Well, Paul would say, offer your body a living sacrifice. Right. And would say willingly. Right. And we would say, but no, I'm an individual. And Paul said, no. No, you're not that you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Yeah. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. That Western idea... Is a, is a square that we're trying to squeeze into a round Bible. Yeah. It just will not work. And one thing we'll give, we'll either wear that out, mm-hmm. trying to make it fit, or we'll carve off our own corners to fit into the Bible. Yeah, I'm trying to fit the book, not make the book fit my culture. Yeah. Once I can figure out the culture and get into alignment and to the mental image of that, then I can minister to my culture. And when you do that... Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be counterculture. Hmm. It's just, it's inevitable. And that's who Jesus was. That's exactly what Jesus like was. He was the epitome of oh. counterculture. Yes. Very provocative. Yeah. Yes. Um, a good one here is Jesus. And here's a good one. There's a war. And this is, this is, again, I'm, I'm going to stay on topic, but this is another thing. We're at a war right now in our Western culture of, you know, mask or no mask. Right. Vaccine or no vaccine. Um, black or white, yeah. cop or no cop. You yeah. see, red or blue, elephant or donkey. This right. is we're, we're trying to put people on individual sides. This is becoming a Western idea mm-hmm. of pick one or the other. That's a Western idea right now that we have to address. Yeah, And so here's the context of Bible. And this is, we'll get to, uh, I believe there's a question on here in a minute that we're mm-hmm. going to discuss, but here's one thing that we're dealing with is We need to understand the context of the New Testament. They had a president of their days. It was, uh, I believe it was Shammai. And his vice president was Hillel. Mm -hmm. This is is Jewish history. Shammai was ultra conservative. Okay, like we need to be almost communistic, we would view. Hillel was very liberal. And so there was this war all the time. They had big arguments, public debates in, in history. Yeah. This was going on in Jesus' day, where they would debate on topics such as, should we pay taxes to Rome? That was a, that was a big topic, bro, of their day. That wasn't just a question that is brought up in the Bible. That was a heavily contested topic yeah. that led to a lot of fights. We, there's history books about this. We know this. And then another one was marriage. Mm -hmm. marriage and divorce. Those were huge, heavily political statements. There was politics in Jesus' days. So Jesus, um, so put yourself in the context. Jesus has a little church, a community of 12 followers. He's going out in the wilderness, he's preaching, and he's, he's garnering in 200, 500 people at times, and they're listening to him teach. The religious group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were a little uneasy about this reality. Who is this, this rabbi out here who's doing all this and he's teaching things that are counter what we've been teaching? So the Bible says that they dealt shrewdly with him. Mm-hmm. Well, the last time we saw that was the serpent in the garden. Um, same word, arum, it was a negative wisdom. They had wisdom, they were using it for evil. So they came to him and look what they asked Jesus. They asked him a heavily political question because they knew if he answers this question, he's going to pick a side and it's going to divide his little group. Right. Okay. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? That was a, that was not just some random question. That was a heavily political and debated topic that has destroyed more relationships in the, in the new Testament than anything else. Yeah. And Jesus knows, okay, one of my followers in my little church is Matthew. He made a living from these taxes and I've got some followers here I've got John, or Mark rather, who was under the, under the, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. They're very conservative. I'm going to set them against each other, and I'm going to have a divided church where they're arguing. So look at what Jesus does. Brilliant, brilliant response. He says, bring me one of those coins. They bring him a coin, and on that coin, he says, well, whose image is that right there? And the Pharisees say, well, that's Caesar. He says, ah, well, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's then. And for a brief moment, they're like, We got him. He picked a side. Mm-hmm. Pay taxes to Caesar. And then he says, But there's more. Give unto God what is God's. Yeah. Whose image are you made in? You see what he did? Yeah. Rather than picking a side, he turned the question kingdomward. Right. That's what he did. He was like, This isn't about the politics. This isn't about the debates. I'm not here to, to war with you over earthly things. My affections are on things above, not on things of this earth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the kingdom. I'm more concerned, have you given unto God what is God's? You're in his image. Yeah. And at that point, he didn't pick a side. He, we have this Western idea of black versus white, right and wrong. You know What we have to do is we have to find a red. It's that area of how much damage is this going to cause? How much division is this going to cause? And that's, that's a heavily... Frustrating topic for people because they're saying, so you're saying give up my freedoms? Well, Paul said you were a bondsman, bondsman in Christ. Yeah. What freedoms did we ever think we had? Right. And so somebody else would say, so you're telling me I just I don't, I don't need to address this stuff? Yeah, Jesus did, but do it with the motive of kingdom. Right. Answer the question, but steer it forward. And I'll give you a practical application of this. Somebody recently asked me, they said, uh, are you going to get vaccinated or not? And I immediately knew if I answer, I don't know where this guy stands. It'll either divide or we'll agree on this topic. But I'll also be segregated from a whole other group of people that don't agree with either of us. Right. So this is my response to him. Nobody knows my opinion on, on the shots. I won't tell anybody. Yeah. Because it doesn't lead to kingdom conversations. It's, it's death. So yeah. this is my response. I said, well, there's a sin problem and I've been inoculated with grace. Mm. I'm That's not such a good point. I'm not going to discuss it because it's going to divide us. And I'm trying to reach people with the message of the kingdom, right? And so I have to represent my king and do what he would do, and do what he would do. We point everything kingdom, kingdomward. That's right. So yes, our Western and it's developing daily of Western constructs that we're trying to squeeze. And I've seen a lot of a lot of people on social media take scriptures out of context to defend their political view. Right. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is.
0: And I, I think that kind of leads into the next question, and it's kind of two-part, but kind of understanding the Western viewpoint and and knowing what it is now, how do you think that plays into how we treat or see ourselves and how we treat and see others? Because that was a great point you brought up about the just the conflict that everybody deals yes. with with the Western idea of me first. It creates all of the conflict that we deal with now. And so how do you think that plays into the way we see one ourselves and in turn,
1: the way we see and treat others? That's a wonderful question. And I think it's a beautiful question. I like the heart of it. So let's, let's look at one word real quick and let's view it through a Western lens and see how it's been traditionally taught. And it'll answer the question. Okay. The word righteousness. Yeah. That is a, that's a very, uh, church word. You're not going to hear that in the workplace. You're not going to really hear that anywhere else okay. other than in a religious movement, But the word righteousness has been traditionally taught within our Western movements of Christianity as, okay, I've got a list of things that are good morally, and I've got a list of things that are bad morally. If I do the good list and check them all off, I am righteous. That couldn't be further from what the Hebrew word righteousness is. The Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah. Mm -hmm. Okay, tzedakah literally... Means to do right for someone else who doesn't have the ability to do for themselves, mm-hmm. and if you do that, if you take care of somebody, uh, for example, if you take care of a widow who no longer can can do certain things because her husband did that, yeah. if you take care of her because she's vulnerable, you would be called in Hebrew a sadik, mm-hmm. a righteous, a sadik ish, mm-hmm. which is a righteous man or ish sadik. That's what you would do. In fact, in Israel to this day, beggars on the street with their hands out, they would say, uh, "Anisadik, Anisadik, Anisadik." They were they were saying, "Someone be righteous, yeah. Someone be righteous." (laughs) That's so cool. And that's what they're they're appealing: be righteous, be righteous. And so imagine us as Americans, we'd go, we don't know the Bible saying that we're not viewing others or ourselves the way the Bible is telling us to view others and ourselves. Yeah. And we hear hear it in English: "Be righteous, be righteous." We would look at them and say, I am. I went to church on Sunday.
0: Yeah.
1: I checked I, the box. I checked the box. I prayed this morning. I, you know, I have this, this outward conduct that I'm representing, yeah. I am righteous. But the Bible is saying, no, give him. He doesn't have the ability or she doesn't have the ability to get, so give. Yeah. But our, our Western view would say, I don't know what they're gonna do with that money. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're gonna buy cigarettes. The easterner would say that's not up to you. Yeah. It's God's. That's that's on them. That's between them and God now. Yeah. You just be a sadik, you be righteous. So the Bible is very much advocating, very big advocates of being in right relationship with those around us. Yeah. One thing I want to ask you about too in in relation to this question
0: and I've heard you teach it before and you melted my brain when you taught this idea um but you taught the principle of the children of Israel, when they got into the promised land, they were farmers. They were agricultural yes.
1: society. They would leave
0: the edges of their fields. Can you yeah. talk about that and how that relates? Absolutely.
1: Here? That's where it. Um, that's where the development began to take place. It started in Genesis 18 when God told Abraham, He said, "I'm going to use Abraham to show forth My righteousness yeah. through Him," and that developed into the children of Israel. They moved into uh, Canaan, and when they came into that promised land, they started separating. There was 12 tribes, and they gave each tribe a little plot of land. Mm-hmm. The Levites, which were the priests, they didn't get a little plot of land. So in an agricultural society, they didn't have a Kroger. They didn't have a target. Yeah. Where's the Levites going to get food if they don't have land to plant? So God said, this shall be right, mishpat and sedekah. Mm-hmm. Mishpat is the Hebrew word for justice. Right. Just. That's another one. Yeah. That's another one because in... in English justice is, we say justice will be served. Mm-hmm. Justice for us literally means, um, you know, if, if you rob, you get put away. If you hurt me, you're going to pay the penalty of the law. It means proper consequence. In That's that, I mean, correct. Right. Retribution. But in the Bible, every time you see the word "mispot" or justice, it's 94% of the time it's restorative, not retribution. It's trying to restore somebody. And so you, you'll often see mishpat, justice, mixed with the word tzedekah. It's, it's justice and righteousness. And you'll see it, you've probably seen it a dozen times in the Bible. So this is what God says. He said, this shall be considered unto you mishpat and tzedekah, justice and righteousness. If you take care of the widow, the immigrant, the orphans, the poor, and the Levites. Mm-hmm. Well, the Levites didn't have land. So what would the Israelites do? The 11 tribes who had land would bring a tenth of their produce to the priest Mm -hmm. because they didn't have fields. The Bible said God's presence was their inheritance. So they would bring food to them or else they would starve to death. So they're viewing, that's God's image over there, those priests. They need to eat. I've got all this field. In fact, I've got more field than I need. So God said, that's right, you do. The corners of your fields, you don't need that. That's excess now. Yeah. You store away this food, it's going to go bad. Go and bring it to them. Trim the corners. And so what they would do is, so gleaning, when they would take the stalk of the wheat, mm-hmm. they would thresh it. So they would hit it on the ground and the gleanings would fall off. That's little little seeds. And it would right. fall on the ground and it would leave the thresh, right? And so they would strike the ground. I think it was two times and that was theirs. They would leave it. The widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor would come and they would hit and get the third and the fourth gleanings. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, one, two, that's all I need. What more do I need? Right. What more do I need? I can leave the rest for somebody who doesn't have enough. And the Bible said, this shall be considered unto you justice and righteousness. Yeah. So with that in mind, viewing the, the question of how, do we, how does our Western affect how we view ourselves, how we should view ourselves as people who advocate for the vulnerable yeah. and To do that, we have to view other people and discern who's vulnerable amongst me. Mm -hmm. That's what the Eastern Bible is telling us to look for. But the the Western view is, I need to go through this Bible and check off the list. Am I morally good? Mm -hmm. That's our primary motive with church and reading our Bible. Am I morally good? Well, the Bible would say, that's still our motive, but here's how. You take care of people. Mm -hmm. And so this is why John says in John 1, he says, When you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the sadiq. We get all the way to Revelation, and it talks about the bride who was given royal white dress, which was fine linen, for it was the righteousness of the saints. We are called to view people that are made in the image of God as the highest image on the planet. So when we hear about things, and people are confused in our world right now with Christians, they really are, yeah. because, I mean, it wasn't four years ago we were crying, build a wall. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be a little, yeah. Just, we just we got to We yeah, got to be this. real. Yeah, let's build a wall. But now we're upset about what's happening to people in the Middle East, right? And so the world's like, wait a minute. And I know the wall is for Mexico, but we don't want. We right. don't want the Muslims coming here, but we don't want to go there either. Right. But, but now we're like, well, how, come, how come the President Biden's not doing anything over what's going on in the Middle East? And we're like, but I thought you didn't care. Yeah, you didn't want them. You didn't want them before. And so we're, we just need to be consistent with what the Bible says. Right. Every human, every human, no matter the nationality, no matter the religious background, every human is made in the image of God. And we are to look after one another if we're going to be like Jesus Christ. Right. They're our the brother. Righteous. They're our sister.
0: That's right. Regardless of nationality, regardless of political idea, regardless That's of exactly religious right.
1: belief, they're our brother <sighs> yes. made in the image of God. No matter how they voted, yeah. no matter what they did, they deserve us sitting down with them and helping and taking time with them to truly herald that person sitting across from me is the image of God. That's a powerful concept. Yeah. And the, the Eastern Bible is very much pushing that idea forward. I'll give, I'll give one example where Jesus is really pushing this. Mm-hmm. So in, um, it's in Leviticus 19. It goes down a whole list on how to treat your neighbor. Yeah. And one part in Leviticus 19, it says, don't cheat the scales for it's an abomination unto God. Well, the scales are those two weights that would balance out. So they would use it in the marketplace. When somebody was buying grain, they would put it over here and they would put their money over here and they would balance it out. So you get this much grain for this much money. Well, there was people that were putting weights under the scales. And it would, it would weigh it back this way and say, oh, you haven't paid enough for the wheat. And they would cheat one another. That was, that was harming your brother or sister and cheating them out of food. Mm-hmm. So that was a reality in that day, cheating the scales. It's, you, were being, um, you were being a liar and a cheat. And you were abusing somebody in God's image by doing so, out of food. Jesus comes and he piggybacks off of that Leviticus 19, treating your neighbor with respect thing. Yeah. And this is what he says. He talks about um give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He's talking about the scales in Jewish context. Yeah. The very next verse, he talks about what he's talking about. He's not talking about giving money in church and we're super spiritual giants because we gave all kinds of money. That's good. But that's not his context. The very next verse, after he talks about, you know, Give, it shall be given unto you, uh, shall mean given into your bosom, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The very next verse, he says, whatever forgiveness you withhold will be withheld from you. Mm-hmm. So what Jesus was talking about, he's like, I'm not talking about money right now, guys. I'm talking about on the scales. You, are you forgiving or are you cheating the scales? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? And so a Sadiq man in Jewish culture, this is what a Sadiq man would do. He would look at somebody who would come up who was clearly hungry, destitute, poor. The whole book of Esther is what she's doing it. The man, the man that she fell in love with, he was letting her work in his field as an immigrant. Okay, so that's the whole context of the book of Esther. So, or not Esther, Ruth. But you get to Jesus and a good man, a sadiq, a righteous man, would look at somebody and say, Okay, you're clearly struggling. I'm going to give a little in your favor. And he would tilt the scales in their favor. Hmm. That was a Sadiq person. So the next time somebody offends us, hurts us, rather than seeking justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, what we would do is we would tilt the scales in their favor yeah. and say, here's a little extra forgiveness for you. I'm going to give, and it'll mm-hmm. be given unto me. Because when I get to heaven someday, all the forgiveness I gave is going to return. Yeah. That's the eternal scales. That's an Eastern idea, though, that doesn't accommodate our Western, well, you hurt me, I hurt you back. Right. Even. Even. Right. These are all Western ideas that just don't fit the Bible. Yeah. And it's very provocative. It's very offensive. But it's very Jesus. Yeah. That's who he was. <laughs> it's just, yes. And we talked about that. He was
0: the epitome of counterculture. He did everything that was opposite of what culture told him to do.
1: Absolutely. Look at the cross. Yeah forgive them like really they are killing you scales were tilted mm-hmm. he desired mercy not sacrifice yeah and he's like this isn't a sacrifice this is mercy up here and i'm buying you you were bought with a price mm-hmm. the, the scales will never will never be able to pull the scales back the cross just slammed the scales into our favor right why because we have, a, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hmm. And these are Eastern things that we just, unfortunately, we miss a little bit. Not that we want to. We're not Eastern. Let's give ourselves some credit. Yeah. We weren't raised in this culture. We've got to be brought into that understanding. We've got to be brought in. And here's a good example of that. When you read Sodom and Gomorrah, the first thing you and I think of when we read that is in our Western view, oh, well, sexual immorality is the big sin that we're reading about right here. Ask an Easterner the same question. What sin do you see? You know what they'll tell you? In hospitality. They mm-hmm. did not treat their neighbors, Didn't the angels, their right, with the dignity that they deserved. Wow. Because the story that just took place before that was Abraham washed their feet and gave them a meal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's wow. contrast, the two societies. Mm-hmm. God found favor with a man named father of a multitude, Avraham, mm-hmm. and then over here, the ones who received judgment, who didn't treat their neighbor hmm. that's how an easterner views that passage yeah but we look at it as well they didn't check off the moral checklist they were sexually immoral and that's all part of it but what the easterner sees is they were not hospitable to their guests yeah that's wow. a big That's a paradigm a shift yeah
0: and it, it like it melts our brains almost it's not something we yeah. comprehend unless like we intensively study that seek it out and are brought into that understanding um, so to kind of wrap this up, the last question I want to ask you, and it, and it plays into that, we as Westerners, mm-hmm. you know, we've, been, we've grown up with this understanding that we have with our Western viewpoint, and sometimes that's hard for us to shake. So can you give us just some practical things that we can do today to kind of start moving in the right direction and get to the, the Eastern viewpoint and the sure. way that the Bible was intended to be seen and read?
1: Sure. Um, number one, I would say humility let's just humble ourselves and one approach the Bible brand new, read scriptures. You've read a thousand times with fresh eyes. And just imagine you don't have a clue what it's talking about. And maybe you'll see some new things because we go into it with some pre hardwired ideas of this is what this passage says. And we need to check that at the door and just be like, maybe it's not what that says. Let me approach it with fresh eyes. Maybe it is, but I do this practice constantly where I'm approaching it with fresh eyes and it's ever developing. Um, So humility, first of all. This isn't an American book. It's not a Western book. It's an Eastern one. So how do I get in that Eastern mindset? I would recommend anybody getting a very good study Bible. And I recommend a multi-authored contribution. Hmm. A study Bible that's only got a handful of contributors. Those I I tend to steer clear of because there, I mean, you can have one scholar spend his entire life studying one book. You know, so Crossway has a good study Bible that has hundred and fifty scholar contribution, and if you read the preface, it will say on there that they're from wide varying denominational uh, backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they're doing that is because you know it's very, very, very important that if it's all one denomination, you're going to get one viewpoint. Right. And all of these varying, they're trying to cut down on people putting into it their their denominal preference. Mm-hmm. Cause let's face it, we all do that. And so reading something that's just a little bit more, um, trying to try to be neutral, you're still going to get influence. That's just the nature of the beast. You're going to get influence from people, their preference. And so you just check, you fact check everything. That's just as anything you're going to get with study material, you're going to get that author's preference. Yeah. Just know that going into it. You don't have to sign a waiver and say, I commit to this for life. You can read it, consider it, toss it in the trash or say, Hey, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's totally okay. But a good study Bible, I read recently that a a study Bible, if you read it cover to cover, and you read all the study notes, by the time you're done, you'll have the equivalent of at least associate's degree in theology. And that's inexcusable. For for $34.99, you can go to Mardell today and buy a study Bible Mm -hmm. and have the equivalent of an associate's degree in theology in two years. That's you know, It's going to be hard to stand before God someday and be like, God, I just didn't, I just didn't have the resources. And he's going to be like... N-m-. No excuse would be justifiable. <laughs> yeah. He's going to empathize. He's going to weep. And he's going to say, but I gave you everything. I, gave, I had multiple things out there. And at Mardell also, if you go by a good study Bible, Crossway's got a great one. There is a cultural study Bible out there. I think it's Nelson puts it out. Mm-hmm. It's got... When you read through, it's going to have all kinds of things that were taking place in that culture. If you don't have the means and the resources to go to, to college, to study abroad or anything like that, I really recommend getting uh, a study Bible and a cultural study Bible. And the third book I would get, and then we can dabble off into languages and all that stuff. That's a whole nother ball of wax. But mm-hmm. the third book I would get is Manners and Customs of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of different brands. It's going to go book by book, and it's going to tell you the history, the context, what's going on in the passage, what, you know, what kind of food they ate. It's a lot of, they're a lot of fun to read because yeah. you're being immersed in an ancient world. And you're going to get a, the humility part that I said at the beginning. It's going to hit you pretty heavy when you read the manners and customs because you're going to quickly find out this is a different world. Yeah. They were doing things very differently than we're doing today. Mm-hmm. You know, Joseph of Arimathea walked 26 miles to go and retrieve the body of Jesus. We don't think of that. You know, that's, that was a big deal. He didn't have a Honda Civic.
0: Right. He couldn't hop in the car and just ride down there.
1: No, something provoked him to go and crave the body of Jesus. So you know what that tells me? The burial of Jesus was a big deal. Yeah. Because you know what they did with thieves? They threw him into Gehenna and they burned the bodies. Why did Joseph walk 26 miles? Because evidently burying a body is crucial. And Paul would later use that, that no, you know, that you were buried with Christ through mm-hmm. baptism. So burial is a big deal. Right. If nice. it wasn't, why would God move on Joseph to walk 26 miles? But we don't know those little things by just reading the text. But you grab one of those books and you see 26 miles, you see the importance of why did the Spirit move on Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. And we're beginning to fill in the gaps. We're movie people. We're watching a scene and we got all these background things going on. And we're not thinking about the background because it's by nature, it's inherent. Mm-hmm. But when we read the Bible, there's background things going on that we're not seeing unless we do studies. Yeah. And when you see the background, you'll walk away thinking, okay, that's a big deal. So those are the things I would recommend. Those books will, will launch you into a whole world yeah. right there.
0: Awesome. Well, man, thank you for all the insight, all the wisdom. Uh, Very, very spot on, and I I think we're all better because of it. Um, One thing I'll ask you, we'll we'll get all the resources that you gave us, and we'll hopefully tag those on our social media. So if you're interested in any of the resources Brother Aaron just talked about, we'll uh, get those available to you. Um, And what we talked about here today was just a snapshot of a ton of information that we could deep dive in for hours, if not days and months (laughs) or years. Um, So this is very much a snapshot. If you want to know more information, please reach out to us. Uh, we'll be happy to provide you those resources and give you all the information that you need um, to answer any of the questions you have. We uh, want to make ourselves available to do that for you. Um, so thank you again for thank all the you. wisdom, all the resources. I'll give you the last word. If you had anything else you want to add or you feel good.
1: Go study your Bibles.
0: Don't just read it. It's supposed to be studied. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much. Thank we you. love you. Thank Appreciate you, you being you here. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for joining us in the Vessel Church podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe and also check us out on our Instagram at VesselChurchBR. And then make sure to check us out also on our website at VesselChurchBR.com. Again, thank you for joining us and always be a vessel.